0: From The Cycling Independent, this is the Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Lewis. Each week we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. Um, dude, last I knew it was snowing there. Um, is it anything more like spring now? It's much more like
1: spring now, which doesn't mean it won't snow again, but it is very <laughs> spring-like. We're middle fifties, the sun is shining. Uh the dog is basking in the sunlight at the front door. Um <laughs> this is usually the setup for the sucker
0: punch, so I don't want to say anything <sighs> right, much. Right. Right. Uh my last winter in Northampton. Um I I got myself hired at bicycle guide. <clears throat> and uh we had a little while before like I was gonna be able to be out there. I was gonna go and cover the uh the Tour du Pont and Mm -hmm. then drive across country well on april 8th it snowed eight inches Mm. and i called my boss to be garrett and i said dude get me out of (laughs) here (laughs) because i was gonna go to work for a bike magazine it's like i can't deal with snow anymore please yeah 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 but that (sighs) was the sucker punch yep
1: Well, I mean, I'll I'll tell you, since I started uh, skiing not that many years ago, my whole attitude about winter uh, has really changed. I'm sad to see, uh, you know, I I win both ways. I'm glad to see the sun in spring and I'm sad to see the snow uh, go away. Um, And that's a privilege, right? Like that, that I have those opportunities uh, because not everyone can just choose to do that uh, is pretty great, but it has... Changed. I used to. March first is Saint David's Day, uh, which is the Welsh. Like Saint Patrick is the patron saint of Ireland. Saint David uh-huh. is the Saint patron saint of Wales. And March first. Uh, no, oh. <laughs> no, the Welsh are the Welsh are uh, pretty chaste uh, as uh, people go. But um, uh, I used to think all the time: just make it to Saint David's Day. And then you start to get more data, like you're going to make it if you can just make it to, to March 1st. Uh-huh. Yeah. And now, uh, you know, just this last March 1st, I was like, ah, it's still going to dump snow next week in Vermont. That's fine. In fact, <laughs> I live in a best of both worlds situation where there's no
0: snow on the ground here, but you can still go up there and ski. Right. Right. Um, yes, that is that is a pretty special place to be. Yes. Yeah. I I do envy you that. Yeah. Um. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've gotten rain two days in a row and as long as we keep getting these little bitty um yeah. saltings uh, of rain, that's really really good for us cuz it's just going to push fire season out that much further without getting like incredible amounts of understory. So, yeah. Uh this this is a good thing for <laughs> 6 months from now. Right.
1: But don't don't worry, as we say in New England, uh, the weather will always
0: break your heart. Yes, <laughs> yes, it will. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. All righty. What are you pulling us on? Um, so one of the things
1: I do is consult with bike shop owners mm-hmm. uh, to devise simple, low cost marketing strategies. Yep. None of that is rocket science. And in most cases, the shop owners know what to do, but don't have the bandwidth to do it. I can do something for them in an hour that they would struggle to get to in their week. Uh, So I do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, A side benefit to working with me, this is not an ad by the way, uh, (laughs) is that I serve as a sort of therapist to the retail weary. I listen as much as I advise. And since I only really work with Mm -hmm. people I'm already friends with, Uh, The line between work and real life gets blurred in a way that I I really like. Mm -hmm. A side benefit to me is that I get inside intelligence on what consumers are doing in a variety of markets. And I share that as liberally as I can, uh, because small businesses Mm -hmm. need all the help they can get. This being the Internet age, the deck is massively stacked against them. (laughs) Truth. Truth. So yeah. I'm able to say if I talk to a, a small bike studio in Massachusetts, uh, of which with whom I many, uh, I have many friends. In such situations, uh, I can say, well, here's what's happening in Chicago, and here's what Seattle says, and here's what I hear from Florida. So I can, I can say a shop with a similar approach to yours is doing this successfully, or. There if you feel like this is happening with your consumers, I can I can reinforce that that is also happening with similar consumers in different markets. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The net result of all this work is that I spent a lot of time thinking about the future of retail. Oh, Uh and if you've read my stuff over a period of time, you'll know that I believe in the bike shop. I believe the cycling culture of a place is nurtured and grown via the bike shop. And though you may be able to get things cheaper online, the long-term result of that behavior is the end of small business. Yeah. Put simply, if you want your town to have a bike shop in it, you need to support your bike shop. Maybe you just have to ask yourself, if the bike shop isn't there, if the bike shop isn't viable, what will be and what is going to be viable in your community? What's your community going to look like? And are you, is that something... You're happy with? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, we already live in a time when a lot of downtowns, like our downtown, has a lot of empty retail spaces in it. And, you know, there are some good businesses, but it's it's just this side of depressing to see all those empty spaces. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it makes a walk through town uh, less pleasurable. <laughs> That's all a very long intro to a piece of data, and maybe this isn't even data, maybe it's more of an anecdote that I got last night from my acupuncturist. <laughs> all right. All right. Actually, it was my first time seeing an acupuncturist, so I may be jumping the gun on our relationship. But <laughs> she said that in her observations, i.e., among her clients, cycling participation fell off in late 2021. She saw a big uptick in cycling in 2020 when homebound folks remembered that riding a bike was a good thing to do. Mm -hmm. But, she says, as things have opened back up, she's seen a gradual return to collective lethargy. She's treating more work-from-home ergonomic problems than she is repetitive-use, high-intensity activity injuries. This will seem like a sketchy way to read the state of our industry. But it jives with what I'm hearing from shops. They couldn't hold on to a new bike for a week in 2020. But as time has worn on, they find themselves sitting on bikes and not seeing a tremendous amount of new bike sales traffic here in the spring like you would expect. Yep. Now, it could be that the wrong bikes are in the market right now. That what's left in inventory is the flotsam and jetsam. But I wonder if we're not seeing a reversion to the mean, so to speak, that retailers who were flush with cash at the beginning of the pandemic are now tapped out and sitting on inventory and we're going to have a mini um, recession
0: in in the bike world. Um, I uh, it's a fair question. OK, there's certainly that. Yeah. So this is this is not a call to action. I'm not currently anyway
1: advocating for bike <laughs> shops. I'm not I always do that. Uh I'm simply looking at the small part of the economy that I have some grasp of and drawing conclusions about what the future is going to look like. I am often wrong uh <laughs> in my prognostications. Um and you know, small business owners uh you can say that they are um risk tolerant people. They sort of have to be, mm-hmm. but once they've been established a while, they become conservative. And I know that you know, for example, the the preseason orders that would normally be happening right now or would have happened two months ago mm-hmm. don't look anything like they did five years ago. And um, so you look at the ability to get bikes into the country from abroad uh, is challenged still. Mm -hmm. Um, and the shops, liquid assets that they're willing to commit to new inventory is challenged. I'm wondering real hard what the 2022 bike season is going to look like from a, from a bike shop and industry point of view.
0: Um, my, my guess, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna make the bold claim that this is better than shooting from the hip. There, that might not actually be the case, but I feel like it's the case. I, I think, I think October of 2022 is going to be ugly. I think it's going to be really ugly for the bike industry. You know, there are some, some other things for us to consider in this, um, in that. So when everybody sold out of everything they had and they went back to their factories to place orders, um, you know, one, they were desperate, and so they were placing bigger-than-usual orders. There's that. Um, there was also the fact that there were factories out there that um, they they didn't arrange their queue first-come-first-serve. They arranged their queue biggest order first. And yeah. so it was getting everybody, um, you know, their clients— um, to place larger than usual orders just to make sure that they weren't going to be waiting on delivery until, say, June of 2023. Right. There's there's enough glut in orders in the pipeline that uh, I've already heard that Shimano is sold out for all of 2023. So at the supply end of things this this whole weird cycle that began with the pandemic is not over. They are not back to any sort of stasis like we were seeing say twenty seventeen right nothing like that um and as history has shown um uh well, I can't use that particular b word but um uh we we know that the bike shop is the um suppliers patsy. Yeah. Um, They, they always get the short straw. Yeah. You know, when you're last in line and everybody else is looking at the straws, you wind up with the short straw. Yep. Uh, and so we're going to see an awful lot of retailers uh, who've, who are in a position where they need to discount bikes that they paid full price for. And we'll probably be blowing bikes out the door at their cost or even below their cost. October of 2022 is going to be a very good time to buy a bike. I predict, uh, but it will not be a good time to be a, uh, a positive part of the bicycle ecosystem, um, in terms of spending money in a way that helps other companies survive. Um, And those people spending that money, you know, aren't to be faulted at all, but we are, this is like the first ripple of water at the beach from a tsunami, (laughs) you know, we've already heard about the earthquake. We've got the tsunami warning. The, the, the tide has just risen six inches and there's a funny little ankle slapper, you know, (laughs) pounding the sand. (laughs) In six more hours, all hell is going to break loose. (laughs) The seagulls have left the beach. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So, uh, and and the sharks are heading for deeper water. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So it's it's a very interesting situation. Yeah. Uh, You want another interesting little data point? Sure.
1: Um, that is...
0: You mean you know, beyond
1: what my acupuncturist thinks?
0: Go on, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I, you know, so it was it was a big to-do here in Northern California when the big holding company, Pond, sure. the parent for Santa Cruz and a bunch of other companies, bought all, what was it, 14 locations of Mike's Bikes. Right. And um, the the folks with the big red S in Morgan Hill um we're a little upset. Um, well, word just came out uh, earlier this week that Specialized has bought NorCal Sport, the yeah. bike peddler and trailhouse here in Santa Rosa. Uh, I figure that that was like an inevitable outcome that they weren't going to let one. NorCal Bikesport is one of the biggest specialized concept stores in the entire country, if not the entire country. Uh, so I figured they weren't going to allow them to get away, but I didn't figure a sale was going to happen quite this quickly. The reason I mentioned that goes back to your point about community bike shops. You know, community bike shops can be counted on, you know, uh, good relationships with clubs. Sometimes the clubs ab- ask for more in discounts than I think are is really warranted. Yep. But they do support the cycling community. You can usually count on them to send out a mechanic or two and a pickup and some tools to the local century. Um, The statement that came from the new general manager of this operation was that all sponsorship of everything was ending. There would be no discounts for anything under any circumstance. Mm. So when we think about community bike shops, more and more, we're going to have to differentiate between those that are actually owned by a local business person and those that are owned by a corporate structure that sucks all the profits into Morgan Hill, uh, Waterloo, Wisconsin, you know, places like that. Yeah. Um, and so I, there's another layer of this that I find disconcerting. Well,
1: you know, I said that the, the, Cycling culture of a community lives in a bike shop, but it doesn't really live in bike shops that are that are homogenous, mm-hmm. uh, where all the products come from one company uh, and there's one story that gets told. You know, I think. Um, I make the I make the analogy with um, with the barber shop. Mm-hmm. If you go to a barber shop and you have a barber. Or a salon uh, and you have a hairstylist. I don't know why they have to have different names. But anyway, uh, you go there and you know that person and they live mm-hmm. in your community and and there's a personality and you're not just getting your cut when you are styled when you go to these places, you're seeing people you like. And it's, you know, maybe you even go more often than strictly speaking, you need to because you like it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Supercuts doesn't have that vibe.
0: No, no, not even a little bit.
1: Yeah. Uh, which isn't an indictment of super cuts as a business. It's just that's not where I want to. That's that doesn't do much for my community. Um, chain businesses tend not to. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, uh, local proprietors do tend to have that kind of vibe. And the shop can still be quite large. I mean, I think of like River City Bicycles uh, in Portland, Mm -hmm. Big shop. Uh, They actually have their own outlet store now. But Dave Gettler owns that place. Uh, The people who work there have been working there for years and years and decades. Some of them, he Mm -hmm. pays them a wage and they have benefits. And it's it's a big shop with a ton of choices. uh, But it's still very much a community place where you can like, oh, I work with Dylan at River City I go that's the guy that I buy bikes from and Ward does my fits there mm-hmm. um that's like a real thing yeah uh and I think that the big companies you know northern california is in a lot of ways the uh the opening front in this in this war mm. Uh, Mike's Bikes plowed, I'm sorry, specialized plowed money into Mike's Bikes really drove their expansion for a long, long time. Yes. At the same time. And and that was in part to hold Trek out of the uh, market as much as possible. Trek ended up buying the City Cycle Stores, which started as a great little bike studio uh, in San Francisco and ended up Trek Concept Store. And and that's just a turf battle. And in the battle for the turf, they're not thinking that much about the community. They're fighting with each other and they're seeing these things as pieces. And I'm again, I'm not going to say that these are terrible bike shops the same way. I wouldn't say you can't get a good haircut at Supercuts. But what I want from my community is a shop that's like invested and in participating that yeah. has, you know, people who know the community uh, thinking about what's good about it. Like my like local bike shop here. The guy that owns it, he's a kook. He is a weirdo. I love him. He sponsors like a a coaster break race uh, where everyone (laughs) rides coaster brakes. He shows movies on the side wall, the outside wall of his shop. Like he he's trying to do all these things. And when I go in there, I I can't get out of there in under half an hour because I'm talking to the people.
0: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I think that stuff's important. I'm with you. You know, and, and to give a little credit where due also, uh, our mutual friend, Tony Bustamante at sure. Bella Smith in Chicago, uh, or more properly Evanston, uh, w- Will mean, Met. He, oh, sorry. Yes. We'll met. Yes. We'll met. Yeah. yeah. Um, he was the first person who said, you know, if you're not fostering cycling culture, you're a dead shop. You're, you're going to be gone. Yeah. Um, and you know with certain corporate support th- that's going to prove not to be the case but in terms of the actual community bike shop yeah that's what they're doing that i love so much they're fostering culture um they they support our lifestyle and i'm a big believer with you
1: yeah yeah Oh, that was a lot of ranting coming out of the acupuncturist. Should be much more chill. (laughs) Maybe
0: we'll have her on sometime. She glued Uh, magnets
1: to my little toes. She didn't glue She taped them. She taped magnets on me. There was all kind of sorcery uh, and witchcraft going on, Patrick.
0: Okay. well, um, we'll I I think we'll need to check in again on that sometime soon. Sorry for another day. Yes. All right. So we're going to take a break and we will be back in just a minute. The Pace Line is brought to you by The Cycling Independent. We are the only online cycling publication that's entirely reader supported with absolutely no advertiser, sponsor, or investor commitments influencing our editorial. We don't have a sales team or middle management. It's just the three founders and a collection of talented and committed contributors who independently produce our content to maintain our commitment to honest reader-focused editorial with the best writers in the business. We need your help. Every dollar that comes in goes directly toward creating the content you see. A subscription is cheap, easy, and it goes a heck of a long way. Just go to cyclingindependent.com, click on support TCI and choose your level. Thanks
1: for listening okay we're back with the pace line the podcast on two
0: wheels time for your poll so a couple weeks ago when i was last in memphis i was hanging out at this very impressive coffee shop in downtown memphis um with my friend uh joe royer who's the owner of outdoors incorporated where i'm going to be doing fitting soon i also know joe yeah uh good dude uh So we're hanging out outside. It's a lovely spring day in Memphis. And all of a sudden, a rider on the team that Outdoors Inc. sponsors comes walking by with her bike. You know, the front wheel aloft because she's holding it by the stem in the air. Obviously, she's got a flat. Um, And for reasons that she listed too quickly for me to process fixing the flat on the road had ceased to be an option. I don't know if she pinched her spare tube or something, right. but she ran through a lot of information. It's like, okay, well, she's not fixing it. Okay. Okay. Well, Joe and I are hanging out. We've got gravel bikes and she launches into this short speech about how gravel riding makes no sense to her because the whole point of riding a bike is to go as fast as possible. And riding in dirt is not going to result in as fast as possible. Mm. I chuckled. Uh, I'm not sure what the correct response was, but I couldn't really help it i chuckled uh when she talked about mountain biking in the very same way i again chuckled now she was far too type a and certain of her correctness for me to interject my view so i just kept chuckling at her insistence that gravel riding was antithetical to what cycling is sure uh, I mean it was just it was funny to hear somebody say these things. Uh I wasn't laughing at her, but it was just it was uh a little Kafka-esque to me. Yeah. Now, I'm not going to disagree that going fast is fun and going as fast as possible is often more fun. But in Memphis, as fast as possible never ever exceeds 40 miles per hour. You cannot reach terminal velocity. In Memphis, the way you can here in California or many other states, um, there are ample well, opportunities. You know, riding a
1: bike in Tennessee makes no sense; it's <laughs> antithetical to cycling. But go on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, so, had she shown any willingness to entertain other views or engage in a dialogue, I'd have offered the following: speed is perceptual. I've done 50 miles per hour on a mountain road on a road bike and felt far more relaxed and safe than I have at 14 miles per hour bouncing over roots on a gravel bike while threading single track. Sure. That, given some of the the trees that I shoulder checked along the way, that felt far more dangerous. Um, and it left marks to boot. <laughs> um, so, Here's an analogy I came up with that might help illustrate this point. Say you're in your car and you're driving through a parking structure. If you're going more than about 15 miles per hour, you're going fast enough that when you see a parking spot, you'll be past it before you can turn in. You'll have to stop and back up before pulling in. But let's say you're on I-40, traveling east out of Memphis, somewhere in nowhere, Oklahoma, surrounded by Farm fields and little else, I assert that 75 miles per hour can seem like you're standing still due to the lack of visual landmarks nearby. That's why 12 miles per hour on single track threading through dense redwood forest is absolutely thrilling. And not only that, thrilling enough, it satisfies my soul for the better part of a week. It gives me something truly soothing. But this brings up another question. Okay, why speed? What is it we're looking for when we seek speed? I don't think it's really about producing more watts, though that can be fun. Um, And I don't think that seeing a maximum speed of 57 miles per hour is where we draw our real satisfaction either. I also don't think that going faster is about the feel of the wind on our skin, though obviously that's a pretty good time too. Sure, yep. (laughs) I submit that what we are trying to do is find flow. We are trying to reach that point where there was so much input that our prefrontal cortex goes offline and the world goes quiet. Shutting the brain down to make the world quiet is one of the surest ways to center ourselves that cyclists have. And I think it's a big reason why there are so many of us who are lifers. Um, my larger point here isn't to argue for gravel riding or mountain biking or any one kind of riding over another. It's just to point out that in finding flow, which is what most of us are after anytime we swing a leg over a bike, it's a matter of perception of speed, not the actual speed itself. Want to make 18 miles per hour feel fast? Ride on a narrow bike path rather than a four-lane road, or or take your gravel park. Toy boat. Uh take your gravel <laughs> Words bike. <are> hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm new to this. Um, take your gravel bike on single track rather than some farm road. Speed in the way that matters to our brains is not absolute. It's relative. So I'm curious, what is your favorite way of reaching that point where you perceive that you are at speed?
1: Well, it's funny that this is what you're talking about today, because this morning and this this morning, by the time people are listening to this, will be yesterday morning or the day before. Regardless, before yesterday, day before yesterday, I posted a useless review of speed. Speed. (laughs) (laughs) And I said that, you know, speed is always relative unless you're a light particle. Um, I said a lot of other things and I made some jokes about amphetamines also. Uh, so check that out. (laughs) But, um, my favorite method for feeling speed is very definitely on a mountain bike, uh, on single track of some technical challenge. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know why, uh, because for me, speed alone doesn't, push my um abilities just sitting on a bike going fast doesn't push my abilities sort of to the edge where yeah. i can shut the prefrontal cortex down i need sort of the right amount of challenge uh to the project yeah um i also you know i like the woods and passing through trees albeit more slowly infinitely more than i like passing by cars Uh, even if I'm going double or triple the speed, I will say that I love this woman, uh, uh, this putative (laughs) lady, uh, in Memphis for the simple fact that she knows exactly what she wants and, and and she puts her energy into going to get it. So good for her.
0: Yeah. I mean, her passion was a thing of beauty. I, I, you know, there was a fire in her and it was a, a lovely, you know, lovely fire to behold. Sure. 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 She it's funny that she would be yucking our yum uh, as the (laughs) kindergartners say,
1: but um, I still love her. Uh, But yeah, I think uh, pretty quickly downhill and I'm not I don't want ride downhill downhill. I'm not like an enduro guy, Mm -hmm. uh, but like a pretty fast cross country descent or even climb uh, if I'm in the right zone in my head. I love so much. Yeah. Yeah. And gravel bike, gravel bike, really what gravel bike, I think, does on single track is it gets you to the challenge point faster because you don't have the uh, suspension doing all the stuff for you. You really have to ride the trail as it lies, so to speak.
0: Yeah. Well, and then there's the whole steering thing, which gets a little more interesting when you're on a narrower bar. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love all of that. I love all mm-hmm. of that. I've been laid up with this back injury for a couple of weeks and the weather is nice. And I am there are literally sections of local trail that I am that I haven't been on for a few months uh-huh. uh, bec- due to it having been winter that I am actively fantasizing about <laughs> <laughs> in my daily day.
0: Yep. Daily day. Yeah. Nothing redundant there. No.
1: Yep.
0: All right. <laughs> yes. Let's move on to paceline picks. What do you say?
1: Yeah, let's do it. Um, so as I said, I've been struggling with a back injury for a couple weeks. Uh, you might have guessed that from my story about the acupuncturist. I have never actually had this kind of back trouble before. And it's reminded me that I don't put nearly enough energy into preventative care. Uh, if you're over 40... And not doing yoga regularly, you might be making a serious mistake. Even if you haven't realized the consequences of that mistake yet, uh, in my humble experience, it's coming. That bill is going to come due. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I have not been doing it of late. I have just been, you know, prior to this injury, I was just flailing myself away at all of my endeavors cycling and otherwise and now i'm injured no shocker so there are a lot of recovery tools on the market now one i really like is the theragun mini Mm. i use it almost daily um it's a percussion massager uh it's got three speeds it's this is the entry level theragun and it costs 199 dollars that's the inexpensive one. That's the inexpensive one. You can wow. buy knockoffs. I can't attest to their quality or lack thereof. I just don't know. But this is the one I have. Mm-hmm. Uh, they bill it as the portable one. Like it's good for travel, but I would never. Well, I do travel with it, I guess. But I think it does just fine for every day. Like the handle is different than the regular guns. But I, I really love this thing. Uh, I use it on the soles of my feet. I use it like every muscle on your body uh, loves this thing in, in, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, Cyclists will tend to have tight calves and quads. Um, Working your glutes and IT bands are also a nice thing to do. Uh, This, for me, is an adjunct to stretching and to injury recovery, too. I will use it around like if I do injure myself, I will use it on the muscles around the injury Mm -hmm. to make sure that those are pliable. Uh, and I seem to be injuring myself, uh, just walking around drinking coffee and being an
0: idiot lately. So I'm getting a lot of use out of the, (laughs) out of the (laughs) TheraGun Mini. Okay. Now I have to ask you a question about this because I have, I don't want to say long been suspicious, but ever since these things emerged into the market relatively recently, I've been a little curious. So physics holds that for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction, um, good so far. Yep. <laughs> so this thing's like, you know, doing this little jackhammer thing. Yeah. How, how do you not end up losing a lot of that force just in simple kickback?
1: Well, uh, I think y- you can, uh, adjust the force as a result of ha- like how fast you run it, mm-hmm. uh, and how firmly you hold it. And what I find is that I like a high speed with a light touch, uh, and I get okay. oh, I get plenty of force. I think I think generating enough force with these things is not the issue. Oh, they they err on the other side, <laughs> where maybe you're getting a lot of people will think, oh, that's too much. Mm. Okay, I am an old and possibly dead horse, so you can flog me as much as you like, and I can I can absorb it, but. Yeah, too much or too little, too little force is not the issue.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've got this device that I reviewed a couple years back uh, when Celine was still co-host. I can't think of the name of it, but it is nearby, but it's kind of peanut shaped and uh, it vibrates. It's got four different modes. And the thing about that is, you know, while it can only vibrate so much since it doesn't have like a, you know, hammer thing sticking out of it. Uh, putting it on the ground and then laying on top of it that, you know, uh, I am, I am able to adjust the, uh, the pressure, um, by adjusting how much weight I've put on it and right. cause it doesn't go anywhere. Yes. So I've wondered, yeah. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Um, Think gosh, I hope it. I don't. Yeah. Link in um,
1: the, link in the show notes.
0: Mm, yeah. I endorse
1: <sighs> it. I mean, I don't you know, they haven't written me a check, but I I'm a regular user and I like it a lot. Like with this back injury, I've been working the glute on the side of my back Uh that is injured and keeping that loose. And that feels really good Uh, on the upper part of my back. um, Yeah. If I lost it, here's a good litmus test of whether it's a good thing. If I lost it or it broke tomorrow, I would go out and replace it. Well, that,
0: that is a certain sort of absolute. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Okay. Yeah. What do you got? last week when I suggested that we would welcome more questions, I did not expect that would result in something for a baseline pick. Yeah. But that is precisely what happened. So, uh, Blake in Michigan is still deep in winter because Michigan, um, and wanted my recommendation for a really warm jacket. And one that has some room for layers and isn't as expensive as Asos. Uh, credit <laughs> we're due, I'm not sure that anybody has figured out riding in winter quite as well as Asos has. Um, but they've also done it in a way that, you know, is fitting for people who own Aston Martin's. Yeah. Um, fortunately for Blake, I had an easy answer. Pearl Izumi's Quest Amphib jacket is warm windproof, essentially waterproof, and has room for both winter pounds and other less organic insulating layers, (laughs) i.e. base layer and or long sleeve jersey. Uh, Pearl does say that it's the warmest jacket in their line, which is, I think, a lovely surprise for the consumers, given that this three-layer jacket runs only $130. (laughs) Um, I'm currently overweight for me, um, you look great. And, thank you. <laughs> um, I don't feel great, but that's a separate issue. So, uh right now, you know, to put on a, a Quest Amphib jacket in size medium, it's roomy enough to allow for a thick base layer, a thick long-sleeve jersey, and there's still room. Like and, I could hide uh, a kitten in it. And how tall are you? Uh, I'm 5'11. Yep. And I've got a wingspan of right about 72 inches. Yep. Um, and the and sleeves are plenty in your long. pocket apparently, <laughs> uh, or, or, you know, like right in front of my belly, you know, Oh yeah, uh, sure. or, or two Chihuahua. Yeah. Yeah. Is Chihuahua, the plural of Chihuahua. I'm going with it. I wasn't, I love it. Yeah. I, I love it. I, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, just as I think it's pre not, not Priuses. Oh, pre. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh this jacket I mean given what things cost in cycling today to yeah. have a jacket that is seriously warm like really has insulation there are a lot of a lot of winter pieces that don't really have that much insulation they just block everything else right. which is its own kind of insulation but this thing has great insulation it's again. It's got room for layers. Uh, as a rule, Pearl Izumi's quest line is always the roomiest stuff, the mm. most forgiving fit. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's windproof and it's uh, the fabric is treated with uh is given Pearl Izumi's PI Dry um, treatment, so water beads up it and runs off it rather than just soaking into the jacket. Mm-hmm. It's going to get a little wet in a full downpour, but that's not really going to be a big issue, you know, it's, it's too got, it's too cold to rain where Blake lives. Well, there is that. Yes. Um, but I, I, it's been a while since I've looked at it, at a piece that has impressed me more than this jacket. Um, I've gotten to wear it in the past. It is a really solid piece. Um, but I hadn't remembered that it was only $130, mm. um, you know, and I mean, This is one of those things where like you could, it would solve a couple different problems for people because you could easily wear it with just like a short sleeve base layer on warmer days, you know Um, just vary what you have on inside. So uh, let's see. Um, It comes in five sizes, small through extra large. Um, (laughs) I, I would buy a small if I was buying one, the medium is a bit much, Interesting. Um, yeah, but I'm, I, you know, there's not a lot to me. So I tend to buy smaller sizes than most folks. Okay. Um, it does come in three different colors. One of course is screaming yellow, which I no longer have the opposition to that I once did. Um, I, I was not a fan of that color for, for a long time. I, and yeah. But then you got hit by a car and you were like, that is a lovely hue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I w- I want a color that's as loud as a Who concert. Yeah, yeah, uh, and, and truly, at one hundred and thirty dollars, I I don't think I can find a better value in jackets in all of cycling. Um, everything that I would otherwise compare this to is north of two hundred dollars. Well, I saw your uh, I saw your note about this jacket
1: before we started, and I looked up what the the deepest winter piece that I have costs. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and it retails. I did not pay retail because that's the gift of the bike industry. You take a 50% pay cut to get a 30% discount. Uh, but it was, uh, it's $350. (laughs) It's a very nice thing, but it is $350, which is a big Uh ask. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, it, yeah. I mean, uh, value comes up in some surprising places. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a wrap on another episode of the Pace Line. Um, so how close are you to really getting back on the bike, buddy?
1: I don't know. I don't know. I'm seeing all of the witches and sorcerers uh, this week. I saw the acupuncturist last night. I saw the physical therapist today. I have a massage book tomorrow. I'm going back to the chiropractor on Thursday. On uh, on on Friday, I don't know what I'm going to do, but... Uh, I'm really trying to get there because uh, as um, as many of our listeners, I don't sit still. Well, Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I've been walking around in a rage uh, for my lack of activity, and so I'm trying to do everything I can. The idea of sitting on a bike right now uh, is painful, (laughs) but who knows? The body is a miraculous thing machine, and maybe I'll get back soon. Yeah,
0: it's remarkable how we can imagine certain things, and our body will just go, "Oh, pain!" <laughs> there yeah, you go. I can foresee how this goes.
1: I can't. Yeah. I can't curve my spine at all right now. Like I yesterday, I was feeling pretty good until I tied my shoes, and that ruined my day.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and one does not tie one's shoes for the first time in a day at four o'clock in the afternoon. No, no, no. And then I was just
1: angry, but. <laughs> But my, what about you? Let me live vicariously
0: through you. What rides do you have going on? Well, I'm going to, I've got two little skin things on my face that oh. uh, I I need a doctor to look at and that's happening today. So I'm hoping that I can ride to my doctor's appointment and ride home. Um And then tomorrow I'm in transit again, back to Memphis. Uh And so hopefully Thursday I'll be on single track in Memphis. Oh, hopefully. very nice. Yeah, it'll be, should yeah. be warm there. Uh it it is. Um, it's a hair warmer than it is here. But yeah, Santa Rosa and Memphis are are trending in the sixties and seventies right now. Mm. And, um, I'm a man of moderate intelligence, and so I know not to complain. Fair enough.
1: Yeah, fair enough. Yeah.
0: All right, righty, everybody. Um, again, send us some questions. If you've got an idea, please drop by the Cycling Independent and put a suggestion in the comments. We hope you've enjoyed the show, and if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.